amen. Thank you. It's a, it's a special day today in so many ways. Uh, I get to introduce to many of you uh, some some very special people to my heart, uh, and also if you're here while well, I get to reintroduce them to you, they are our international church planters in Germany. Your, your monthly offerings help support Rich and Julia Rudolph. Could you welcome them back to Grace Point? Well, Julia goes, I think she was born in the nursery. She, her dad, Kurt uh, DeGraff, was here 26 years, and uh, they lived in old, the old the old uh, church in Old Town, the a parsonage. All the kids came home there, and Julie was in my youth group. And uh, Kurt was the pastor of 26 years. And I was also surprised that your mom, Karen DeGraff, is here today. Can we welcome Karen? Just beautiful, beautiful. So, uh, so Julie, you grew up here, and uh, when your family moved away, and you're in college and stuff, and then Rich surprised you. Um, that w- when we didn't have this building and the old auditorium reliving memories, what did he do to surprise you? So he told me I was coming out by myself, and I flew in, met a friend, and we said, let's swing by the old church. So we swung by the old church, and as I walked through the doors of what's now your youth group room, um, there he is on the stage. So I walked down the stage, down to the stage, and he got on one knee and, and proposed. So it was really sweet. He's- so uh, yes. you can't get any more personal than, than that. So that's awesome. Uh, Rich, you're, you're in Germany, and it's, I mean, you're dealing with COVID just like us. But beyond COVID, um, what, what's the biggest challenge you're facing doing ministry in Germany? I would say patience and belief that God is really going to work. Um, we are in a very post-Christian, post-modern society like many of you, but this area is even more de-churched where we work, and, and there's just such a lack of any gospel presence before we got there, and um, just belief that God can do something. And sometimes you have to stop and remind yourself and say, you know, God is going to save people. He's going to work in people's lives. And I think that's the hardest thing is just having patience and having belief that God is going to do what he says in his word and, and just trying to reach out to a very hard society that says we want they're very atheistic I want nothing to do with God so that's probably my biggest hardship when it comes to ministry there Julia what's your maybe biggest prayer request that you have for your family for the ministry anything what's your biggest prayer request it's hard to pick the biggest but the most present right now is that we're in the states for a year so we chose to homeschool which is no easy feat and we do that because our kids are behind in their English so it's just kind of an ironic combination of catching them up on English and maintaining their German so just kind of a practical prayer request that God would give us the strength, the wisdom, the energy, the patience, the strength. Uh, all of the above. Because as you all know, parenting, homeschooling, not easy, but just the two languages and cultures and trying to maintain both. Well, we are so blessed to have you here. We have two, two special things. The first special thing is that Rich is going to teach today. I've asked him to teach today. The second special thing is today is Julia's birthday. Yeah. So we have... I have a gift for you. So there's, there's a gift for, for you. Actually, this one's for both of you, but oh, wow, all right. it's a gift to you, then you get to share with Rich. Thank all right. you. Thanks. Uh, would you join me in prayer before Rich uh, opens God's word? Lord, thank you so much for Rich and Julia and just and their families and their connection here and the legacy uh, that you 
did through Kurt and Karen here and, and now their kids. And we just, we just thank you. Lord, bless their ministry in Germany. Bless this time at home with family and all the challenges with uh, homeschooling and English and German. And, and also their heart is with their people back there and the challenges that they're facing with their church and the, the people that they've been discipling. So Lord, bless. Bless Rich now as he opens your word. May we have ears to hear from you today. We say all this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. amen. Rich, take it away, buddy. Thanks. Well, it is great to be here with you guys today. My family came back to the States at the end of June. And um, a month before, a couple weeks before we actually uh, were able to leave, the dreaded thing happened to me as I'm driving. And on my dashboard of my car, it says Motorstörung. You're like, what does that mean? It means check engine. Oh boy, I, I'm not a mechanic. And you have two options what to do at this point. You either take it into the mechanic, or second, you ignore it. And I did what every good man should do. I sold my car. <laughs> I did. I knew what I was going to sell it, so I thought, I'm just going to wait, and I'm just going to sell this car. And I told the guy, like, listen, the engine light came on. I don't know what's the matter. But a check engine light comes on in a car to tell us what? Something is wrong in your car. You've got to go to mechanic. You've got to check what's underneath the hood. You've got to find out what the problem is. Well, the check engine light in my heart has gone off as well. In the last 18 months, we've all been experiencing this, but God has spiritually in my life sent a check engine light to go off. Something was wrong with my relationship with the Lord. And during the midst of this last 18 months, this pandemic, God was trying to get my attention and, and he was trying to say, Rich, I don't think you care as much about sharing the gospel, the story of Jesus, what he did on the cross, like you did before this pandemic. Because I was so focused as a pastor on so many of these little finute details and I was focused on these issues within our church that really had no gospel kingdom importance. This opinion, that opinion and fighting and trying to keep things together. And God was sending this light in my heart to say, check your engine. Maybe your heart's check engine light is going off too these last 18 months. Maybe God is trying to bring to your mind to show you something today about your passion for the story of Jesus Christ. Maybe the last 18 months our focus has been on other things instead of what really counts. And I want to share with you some questions that God brought to my mind. And I want to ask you these same questions to see if your check engine light is going off, okay? The first question is, is when was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? If it has been over a month since you have shared the gospel with somebody, maybe that light is going off. Second question, how many friends do you have that do not go to church? How many friends do you have that don't go to church? And that doesn't mean the neighbor that you occasionally wave to, all right? A friend is somebody you invite over to watch a football game with or eat with or do something with. If your answer is zero to maybe one, the guy that I occasionally wave to, that check engine light needs to be going off. And the third one, this one hit me like a ton of bricks. If God answered every prayer request this week in which I prayed for someone to come to know Jesus and enter into a relationship with him, how many people would have had a relationship with Jesus? 
Woo, Lord, my check engine light was just burning, going off. So after you answer those questions, my question is, is your check engine light going off? Is your passion there for the gospel, the story of Jesus, like it was when you first came to know Christ before this last 18 months? Now, we have a misconception. We think that there are professionals that share the gospel, and then there's me, and I can come and sit on Sundays. Barry, the pastors, they're the professionals. They need to do this job. But we forget that we are all called and need to remember that everyone is called to share the gospel, not just professionals. Jesus' mission to his disciples was to make more disciples. And in the book of Romans, it says, how can people believe on Jesus if they never hear the story of Jesus? Now, we sometimes think as well, well, I just don't have that giftedness. That's not, I'm not really gifted in that way to speak. I feel uncomfortable. I feel pressure. There's no perfect formula I'm going to give you today. But I want today to look at the book of Matthew and in this story to help us discover what Jesus did during his time on earth and how we can intentionally live like Jesus did in order to share his story. And I want us and I hope that we'll discover the passion again for his story. So today, if you're taking notes, I want to look at three actions that will help us intentionally share the gospel with our community. Three actions that will help us intentionally share the gospel with our community here in Bremerton. Because it's so important. If you have your Bible, I'm going to look at Matthew 9, 9 through 13. And this is what happened here. And it says this, And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to Jesus, or they said to his disciples, I'm sorry, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, this is talking about Jesus, Jesus says, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The first action we need to take to live intentionally is this. Number one, go outside the walls of this building. Amen? Go outside the walls of this building. If you want to intentionally share the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ with the world here in Bremerton, you have to go outside of this church walls Monday through Saturday where you normally are. Jesus does this constantly through all of the gospels. And in verse 9 we see this. Jesus finds Matthew, this tax collector, not in the synagogue, not where they met on Saturdays to go to church. He finds Matthew at a tax booth, at his job. And he comes to him and he says, follow me. Jesus could have called very good religious people to come and follow him. Instead, he goes and seeks out a traitor to his countrymen, a tax collector. See, those tax collectors were Jewish and they would collect taxes for the Romans. Now, tax collectors were hated back then. You might think right now, I hate paying taxes too. Yes, this is a generational thing. I don't think anyone says, I love to pay taxes. So back then, they also hated paying taxes. And these tax collectors would take more than they needed to. They were the IRS, but worse. 
This guy was not loved in his community. And Jesus seeks this man outside the synagogue and this man desperately needs Jesus. People who are normally not in the church building Monday through Saturday are out there, correct? And those are the people who need Jesus. The people we are trying to share Jesus with are normally also not here on Sundays. Maybe there's a guest here today and we're so glad you're with us today. But normally people on Sundays that need Jesus are playing golf, having breakfast, having a good time on Sunday mornings. They're not here. They aren't lined up trying to come in on Sundays. So we'll have the occasional, but this is what Jesus is trying to show us. We need to go out to where they are. We have to go outside these walls and live intentionally in order to share the gospel with Jesus. And if we're just relying on people to come in on Sunday mornings and we just rely that the pastor does his job, then we're going to grow this church big. People are going to come. And if we believe that, then we've missed how Jesus sought out his disciples. So my question is, what is the primary way you are relying on reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe just, I'm just sitting at my home and I'm praying. Someone's going to knock my door that needs Jesus. That mailman, I hope he comes. That Amazon delivery guy, I'm waiting for him. Maybe it's Pastor Barry. Maybe it's the pastors on staff. They better preach a good enough message because people need to come hear this. Maybe it's posting weird things on Facebook. That doesn't help. All right? If you think posting weird things on Facebook is going to save the world, I think it's actually doing the opposite of these days. Do you see the church service as the only avenue for people to come to hear about Jesus? Or do you see the need to engage the world Monday through Sunday outside in how we live? We have to retrain our way of thinking that it's not just the pastor's job or the full-time staff's job, but Jesus commands us to go out into Bremerton and to share his story because the world needs him. There are Matthews at tax collecting booths at your work that need Jesus, and we purposefully have to go do this. Go outside to meet people at your gym. Go outside and join a basketball club or a, a bike riding club. If you love scrapbooking, go join scrapbooking club. Whatever your interest or hobby or what you love to do, you go do it in order to seek people who need Jesus, not just because you like that hobby. Now, you might look at me right now and you're like, Rich, I know your hobby is weightlifting. I know, you're thinking that right now. You're like, that guy's hobby, I mean, that guy's like a bodybuilder. Well, you assumed right. I am a bodybuilder, right? Well, well, we moved to Germany, nobody's lining up to come to church. We started a church with nobody, a couple people, and nobody's lining up. So what do we have to do? We gotta go where people are. Well, guess where everybody is in our city? The gym. And you can ask my wife, I don't like really going to the gym. But I thought, if I'm gonna meet people, I better get up and go to the gym. So in God's ways, he, he brings me to the gym and I'm lifting weights and this guy sees that I'm not good at lifting weights and we start talking with one another and we, we strike up a conversation. And for two and a half years, he becomes my good friend. And we talk about weightlifting, which I don't really care about. We talk about sports, we talk about life, and we talk about Jesus. Because Jesus is important to me. And after two and a half years of waking up in early morning, going working out together, my friend came to know Jesus. Amen, yes. My friend in Germany would never have come to know Jesus if I didn't go to the gym to meet him there. He's never gonna come to our church. 
That's why we have to go outside the walls, live intentionally. And that's not to say, wow, I did a great job. It's just to say, go out and meet people where they are and begin to see the world like Jesus did. Because that's where he called his disciples. Number two. Number two. If we're going to live intentionally, number two, bring others to go with you. Don't do it alone. Bring others with you. I love in this story, right after Matthew decides to follow Jesus, Jesus right away, Matthew's going to have this big party for Jesus, and he goes to his house, and it says it's going to be a banquet, and other places it says this party. And who does Matthew invite? Well, Matthew is not coming from a good background. He invites the people he knows who are other tax collectors and sinners, probably prostitutes, other people that, that, that were on the outside of that society. And these are the friends that he invites. And who does Jesus invite? It says this, Matthew made him a great feast in his house. And it says this in Luke, and there were a large company of tax collectors and others reclining with him. And in Matthew 10, it says this, and Jesus reclined at the table in his house and behold, many tax collectors and sinners were coming and were reclining with Jesus and his Disciples, Jesus could have gone alone. He could have said, guys, I got this one. I'm going to this party alone. Jesus always is bringing his community with him to live on mission. Matthew's friends were tax collectors. Jesus' friends were fishermen and other men he had just called to follow him. And they go together. And Jesus and his disciples are able to display to the world around them what salt and light looks like, what the light of Jesus Christ looks like. Jesus practiced this all the time with his disciples. They always went together. When he sent them out, he sent them out in twos. And if you are desiring to live on mission and to share the story of Jesus here in Bremerton in your community, don't do it alone. Bring others with you. You have a community of believers here today. I look at your church, and this is like a mega, mega, mega church in Germany. And you guys can do something through the Holy Spirit in your life that is unbelievable. The local body, the local church is one of the most unbelievable things in this world when they work together for the good of sharing the gospel. When a group of believers of Jesus come together for Jesus, the world will see, hopefully, our love for Jesus in our hearts and how we act towards one another. That's why in John 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet and he tells them this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. My question is this, how can we... As Christians, how can those who need Jesus see the greatest apologetic for the love of Jesus at work if we are never around our other brothers and sisters in Christ? How can they see the love of Jesus in our hearts for one another if we're never with our church and our community who know Jesus to show love to each other? We need to involve our Christian friends to become the friends of our friends who don't know Jesus. We need to do this in community together as a team. We need to be going out beside these walls together and purposefully to live out the love to show to one another what Jesus' loves look, loves look like. Jesus does not go to the party alone. He brings that community because his community has already experienced the love of Jesus. Why go alone? Why go alone? Why not bring others with you? <clears throat> I've got a great story in Germany, but... Well, I've already been home a couple weeks and 
This is another story I want to share with you that just happened a week ago or two weeks ago. My friend called me. He's like, hey, can you come share a devotional at my neighborhood get-together? I was like, yeah, sure. It'd be great. He's like, you wouldn't believe this story. He's like, I got so sick of just talking about lawn equipment with my neighbor. He said, I'm just going to share with him Jesus. So he shares with him Jesus one night, and the guy gets saved. He comes to Christ, enters into a relationship with Jesus, and he's like, okay, now what do I do? He's like, uh, let's study the book of Mark together. Okay, and this guy's on fire, his neighbor who just heard about Jesus. So what does he go do? Just like Matthew. He goes and he tells his father and he tells his brother-in-law and he starts sharing the gospel. I'm like, okay, now what do we do? He's like, uh, come with me. I'm going to show you the guy who shared with Jesus with me. So they go together. And then my friend is there and they're having this Bible study through the book of Mark. And they're like, we can't keep this to ourselves. We need to be sharing this with the neighborhood. All right, Tuesday nights, we're going to start a men's group. We're going to order food and we're going to eat together. And so what does my friend do? He brings the community of believers that know Jesus. So he's like, this is too many guys. I can't handle this by myself. So he invites the church going friends. And then the neighbors are starting to invite friends that don't know Jesus. And they keep inviting on Tuesday nights. And it goes from five guys to 10 guys to 20 guys. And I was just there and there's 27 guys that can come to this group. Amen. And my buddy said, we're bringing others to come with us. And it was so exciting to see this passion. And the guys who are all there are not all believers right now. They don't all know Jesus. They're just there. They're like, this is an amazing community that I'm seeing. And I love hearing about Jesus. They're going through the book of Mark, the book of Acts. Now 1 Corinthians. Bring others with you. Matthew is living with purpose. He has the desire that his old friends come to meet his new friends. And how are we, my question for us, how are we purposely bringing others from our church to help us with this great task? How are we purposefully setting up ways to be together as a group of Christians to be with non-Christians? At our church in Germany, we do men's nights. We go bowling. We grill out. We go on a day trip someplace to a city to have just a good time. We'll play billiards. We'll specifically set a, a time of the month to say, this is the time of men's night. Invite whoever you want because we need to bring old friends with new friends so that they can see the love of Jesus on display. What if we as a church said we're going to live on mission together and live life normally together and have normal events together and I'm going to bring all my friends together to do that? I believe they'd see the love of Jesus and they'd say there's something different about these friends that you have. And that leads us to the third point, number three. The third point is learn to love the mess around us. This is the hardest point, all right? This is a really, really hard point. Number three, learn to love the mess around us. Jesus is there with his disciples. And of course, he gets critiqued from Pharisees. Now, Pharisees are these very religious guys who are going to the synagogues. They have their own school of how to live and do all the right rituals. But guess what? Their hearts are very far away from God. They miss the heart of God all the time. And they have backlash and they say, why would Jesus ever eat with these sinners and tax collectors, the messy people of the society? He says that in verse 11. And Jesus' response to them is this. He tells them this, but when Jesus heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, I'm going to sick people who need a doctor. How many of you have ever gone to a doctor's office? 
probably 95% because whenever you say that, someone's always like, I don't ever go to the doctor. Never will. They're quacks. And you're like, okay, okay, whatever. 95% of us, I'm sure, go to doctors. Normally, who goes to doctor's offices? Sick people. Unless it's your yearly checkup. Sick people. So every time I walk into a doctor's office, I'm expecting sick people. I've never opened up a door to the doctor's office and seen a Hawaiian luau going on. Where they have a pig on there and they have a nice buffet and they're playing shuffleboard like, Hey, we're so glad you're here. Come grab something to eat. We're having a good time in here. No. Every time I open up the door, I see a guy with chills in the corner like this. I see someone else throwing up. I see someone else coughing, and I see other people that are, just look very, very sick. And I'm trying to choose what seat I should choose so that I don't get everybody's sickness. All right, whose sickness do I don't mind getting here? I guess I'll take chills. Okay, I'll sit by this guy. We go to doctor's office because we're sick, and the people that are there are sick. That's what Jesus is trying to remind us. He goes and tells the Pharisees, learn what this means. I want mercy and loving kindness and not sacrifice. Why? Because that's what the world who is sick needs. They need the love and kindness of Jesus Christ. They need the love and kindness. The heart of Jesus is his desires that men and women would enter into a relationship with him. And that is this loving kindness, the doctor looking at sick people and saying, they are sick and they are in need of my medicine and I'm the only one who can give them this medicine. Jesus knows that those who are in need of this relationship are the messy and the broken and the people in this world that are like, I don't have it all together. And you know who that is? Every single person on this earth. Every single person on this earth is that messy and downtrodden and broken person. Even if you don't think it, we all are a mess. If you took your worst thing you ever did in your life and everybody saw that on display, you'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm a mess, I need help. We're all that. Our broken and messy lives, this is the best news, does not stop Jesus from being the doctor and saying, I'm gonna love you. It's, and it shouldn't stop us either from seeing the mess of our world around us from coming to them. Maybe you're asking yourself today, well, what did Jesus really do to love my mess? Rich, I'm new to this whole thing. What did Jesus really do to really love my mess. I've never seen the love of Jesus. I've never heard about the love of Jesus. This is what's so amazing is that Jesus loves people so much that Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. And not only that, but I'm gonna seek and save the worst people and the worst crimes and the worst actions you've ever done. And I'm coming to earth because I love you. And I'm gonna come become a baby and I'm gonna grow up and I'm gonna live a perfect life that you cannot live because we all fail. So I'm going to live on your behalf. And Jesus says, not only am I going to live on your behalf, but there's punishment for what we have all done for our sin and our messiness. He says, I am going to go pay the punishment for your messy, bad things that you have done. And he goes to the cross. And he goes to the cross and pays the punishment for our sin. And he dies in our place. And he says, my heart is for you. And I'm going to give you my good works, my righteousness for your messiness, and I'm gonna pay the punishment for that. And Jesus knows you need me more than anything else in this world. This is the story you need, and I love you so much, I'm gonna do whatever it takes and go to the end of the, the world to search you and find you and die for you because I love your mess. 
I want it. Give it to me, and I'm going to take care of it. And Jesus is telling the, the Pharisees, go learn what this means. Go learn what mercy and love means, because that is what Jesus is displaying to us. And if we, as Christians, can grasp the love of Jesus that he had for us, that while in our mess and our bad works and all the things we have ever done, that we were in need of a doctor and he came and he healed us, then it will change how we see the mess of the world around us. Why? Because we've been shown that love. And without that love, our lives will not be changed. And that's hard for us. That's hard for me sometimes to love the mess around me. Because I forget sometimes, Rich, you are that mess that Jesus loves so much. God, in his great ways, sends people to our church in Germany that have messy lives. I keep waiting for the Fortune 500 CEO that drives in a Porsche. It hasn't happened yet. But God brings us people that are in need of Jesus. And we've had a guy come to our church who is in terrible background, terrible backstory, like maybe people you know. And life, his life was just a mess. And our church said, we're going to help him find a job. We're going to help him give him clothing. We're going to help him find an apartment. We're going to take him to work. We're going to help him get a car. We're going to help him get a, a driver's license. I mean, our church is pouring love into this mess, that this hardship that this man has gone through. And he has a, a daughter and he has a girlfriend. And we're like, let's love this man. And we're doing it and we're investing. And then one night, I'm sitting at his house and he's throwing away his life to go back into the mess. And I'm pleading with him, with another leader in our church, please don't do this. And I'm sadly to say, it didn't clean on the, turn on the light for him and say, you know what, I'm just gonna, you're right. It was the opposite. He said, I'm gonna make this decision. And he walked away from everything. And I remember sitting there and I think, Lord, that was a messy, hard situation. I don't like that. That's too much for me. And then Jesus says, that's exactly who I came to save. And you are that. We all are that. And I still pray for that guy and I pray that he comes back to the Lord. But that's what Jesus is calling us to do is to enter into the mess around us because the mess around us of hardship and broken families and brokenness is why he came because they're in need of the physician. We cannot forget how Jesus loved us so much with all of our baggage and sin and we need not to look at the lost world around us as, I cannot believe how lost those people are. Man, what problems. Instead, we need to see them as those who are sick like we were sick before we found the medicine in Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus came and after he gave Matthew the medicine, he brings those people together and Jesus sits right down with, this, with the people who need more of that medicine. We need to remember that Jesus heals the brokenness. And Matthew grasps that that's why he is changed and invites people to come and find out more about that medicine. Is this work messy? To share the gospel and to get involved with the lives around us? 100% yes. But we have to remember that we are not better than the world around us. The only thing that's different is that Jesus has changed my heart. That I am just one sick person telling another sick person about the medicine I received from Jesus the doctor. So I have questions today, two questions at the end here. Maybe you are here today and you have never discovered the medicine of Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you are here today for the first time and you feel far away from God or you felt far away and maybe you feel like your life is too messy for Jesus. Maybe what's amazing is that there was a Matthew in your life who brought you here today or invited you to look online today. And they invited you because they've experienced the love of Jesus and they're asking you, you gotta come and meet the man who's healed my life. Is Jesus inviting you today to sit at the table with him, with all the sinners? Say, come, and I want to love you and give you the medicine, and I want to heal your brokenness, and I want to give you the gift of salvation. Are you answering that question from Jesus? How are you going to answer that? Second question, what is keeping you from Jesus if you haven't accepted that? Is it, no, Christians are weirdos. Yeah, we are. We're all weirdos. We're all a mess. Don't let anything keep you because that love is so great and he loves you so much. He's building a bridge to you today and saying, sit at my table. Don't let anything keep you, but accept that love of Jesus. Accept the gospel, accept the good news that he died for you and was buried for you and rose again. And he said, I want a relationship with you. Come to him today. <clears throat> maybe you have accepted Jesus, but maybe your check engine light has been blinking for a little bit. Maybe that light's going on, you're ignoring it, you're putting tape on that, you don't wanna see that in your heart. You're like, no, 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 everything's good. Just ignore it, well, everything will be okay. I want you to ask yourself, have we forgotten the reason why Jesus came to this earth? Jesus didn't come, he said to the righteous, but I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to the unrighteous who need a doctor. Have we forgotten the gospel story, what it really means? Is the gospel story burning like you in a fire so much that you can't be quiet, but instead you keep seeing the lost world that needs the medicine of Jesus. And I want you to think of a friend right now and fill in this blank. You are in, fill in the blank, this person's life for a reason. And that reason is to share the gospel with this friend. Sovereignty is not just knowing, that is not just that God knows everything, but sovereignty is that God has placed you specifically in this person's life so that you can be praying for them and sharing the good news with them. That's what God, that's why God has put you in their life. I want us to look at these three actions today and question ourselves, are we specifically going outside the walls of this church? Are we going together with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church? And do I love the messy, sick people who need Jesus around me because I'm that sick person? Answer those questions in your heart today and don't just sit, but go and seek and to save the lost like Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this time that we can be together. And I just pray your blessing, Lord. I pray that those who need you, that they would discover the medicine of Jesus Christ today. And those who have had experienced the medicine, Lord, I pray that we would be charged up and ready to go bring that medicine to more that the doctor has given to us, Lord. Thank you for your love that you've shown to us. Amen. Yes, thank you, Rich. On the wall out there is our mission as a church. We exist to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, that is your mission as well that Jesus gave. You are to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. And uh, one of the messiest areas of life today that causes so much pain and turmoil and a lack, lack of hope in life is challenges in marriages. And if, if you're winning at work, but losing at home, your whole life is like losing. That's what it feels. 
And now every year, pretty much every year, we have a teaching right through the Bible, a, a marriage series from the Bible here at Grace Point because, because of how many marriages are messed up, the military makes it worse, you know, and moving and ne- never home and all that. That's why we have those teaching series every year. This marriage conference coming up on October 1 and 2 is not a Bible conference. It's a marriage conference. It's a marriage seminar, Friday night and Saturday. Yes, he's a pastor, but he's going to teach on practical things. It's not, he says, you don't marry the right person to have a great marriage. You do the right things to have a good marriage. And so one of the, that's a messy area of life. So if you have a friend that you work with, that you are neighbors with, buy them a ticket and uh, have them come to help in an area of, of their life that's very, very practical, and it could be a stepping stone for them to eventually follow Jesus. So that's why we, we offer, not just to help marriages, but to give us an opportunity to invite people that we love. So make sure you take advantage of that. All the information is on gracepointkidsup.info. You can register your, your kids and pay and all this sort of stuff. That is for that. And as we close today, um, Friday night, night of worship, seven to nine, right here. We've invited a bunch of churches in the area, but I want Grace Point here. And uh, it's a chance for us just to focus on the Lord and to give him praise and give him worship. So Friday night, Friday night here, seven o'clock. Make sure you're here. May God bless you. Have a great week and think about someone that you can invite to some event uh, to point them to Jesus. Have a great day.